Just before we kick off today's episode, I wanted to let you know about a podcast that I really think you like. It's called Words to That Effect, and it's hosted by Connor Reed. Here's Connor. I'm Connor Reed, and this is Words to That Effect stories of the fiction that shapes popular culture. Words to That Effect takes a deep dive into the intriguing places where fiction, history, science, and popular culture come together. From the Victorian past to utopian futures, dinosaurs to detectives, zombies to mummies, how does fiction create, shape, and inspire the popular culture all around us? Words to That Effect is available wherever you get your podcasts and at wttepodcast.com. Okay, on with the show. (laughs) Okay, well, my name is Mary Gregory, and I'm an artist, a designer, and I design coins for the Bank of Ireland. How do you become a coin designer? It turns out by reading the classifieds. There was actually the first ad a friend of mine noted in the paper from the Bank of Ireland, the central bank, because they do send out a completely open invitation to the whole world, basically, to design coins. It was actually to design the final punt coin. The punt was the Irish pound before the euro currency came in. So I entered. The design I had didn't win, but I I still stand by it. And it was hand-drawn. I had no kind of technology or anything like that. A friend of mine who who was a graphic designer, she gave me like a pound symbol to put on it. You know, and it was all sort of stuck together with glue and all that. But it, but it went in and I didn't win, but but I was in the competition. And then it was a couple of years before I actually entered again because I didn't see the ads because you have to notice them. It's a sort of a, it's a very open competition, which is really nice. And then for a few years, I had some successes and I've I've designed several coins for the Bank of Ireland. And amongst them is the Yates coin. The Yates coin is a collector's coin created to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the birth of the Irish poet, W.B. Yeats. Well, I was invited to the launch and I get presented one and I get the second because they're, you know, they're numbered. Well, you get a numbered certificate with it. So mine is number two. The number one goes to the mint usually or or the president of the bank or something like that. So I don't get the number one. (laughs) I get number two, but it's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. The denomination of the Yates coin is 15 euro, which is something I've always wondered with collector's coins. Like, can you just walk into a supermarket and present your limited edition Yates coin to buy your shopping? Well, you could. You could. But as you paid 40 or 50 for it, you know, you you wouldn't be getting a very good return. So (laughs) I don't think I'd do that. (laughs) Good point. Celebrating Yates on a coin is actually more fitting than you'd think. Yeats was central to the creation of Ireland's first national coinage. But I'm not sure if I'm going to tell you that story. I mean, it's a really good story, but I think we should let Yeats himself decide. So Mary, I have the Yeats coin here. Heads or tails? (laughs) Gosh, I'm going to go heads. Heads it is! I'm Liam Garrity. It's time to meet your maker. I mean, meet your maker.
There's a few things that are used to symbolize a country, stuff like stamps or the flag or coins. And in 1926, the Coinage Act was passed in the Irish Free State. The Free State came about after a number of different events that happened in Ireland in what's called the Revolutionary Period. That's historian Maeve Casserly. Sort of between 1912 up until 1923. So one of the big revolutions, or it was a small one at the time, but it had a lot of implications, was the Easter Rising, which happened in 1916. And this was one of the first revolutions that happened in Ireland that brought about a lot of positive public opinion, where people wanted to move away from being part still of the British Empire towards full independence for Ireland. And the Free State was a little bit different than a full independent republic. So one of the things that happened there was the northeast of the country was partitioned and Northern Ireland was formed as well around that time. One of the things they wanted to show was that the Irish Free State was different. It wasn't complete independence from the British Empire, but it was significant. And they wanted to convey that. One of the first things they tried to do, and a lot of people know about this as a kind of an infamous thing, was they painted all the post boxes green. Post boxes all across the world were actually red at the time. It wasn't a sign of the British Empire, but red was quite closely associated with it as a colour. Irish republicanism is more so identified with green, so they painted the post boxes green, but a lot of the royal insignia which were on the post boxes remain. This whole idea of national identity was tied in quite closely with imagery. These things seem quite small, but they're something that people use on a daily basis. Um, They kind of form part of what people associate with Ireland and that whole symbolism in it. So they thought, why stop at the post box and issued a new stamp? For the stamp in particular, they used era, the Irish language word for Ireland. So the Irish language was quite important as well as a whole kind of link in with Irish identity. And they had a map of Ireland on the stamp, but significantly the map was the full island of Ireland. So there was no partition obvious on the stamp and it was like a, a two penny but it was written Ga Pingin to two pence in Irish again so Irish language um, it was green and uh, it had the full island of Ireland but they wanted to take it further they wanted something that everyone in the country would see on a daily basis. And so the Minister for Finance, Ernest Blythe, introduced the coinage bill to the government. He said that it made sense that the free state should have a coinage distinctively our own, bearing the devices of this country. They set up a coinage committee to oversee what the coins would look like, what artists would design them, who they'd even asked to design them, and what their remit would be. The people who they appointed were archetypes, intellectuals, we would call them. And the chair was William Butler Yeats, who at the time was a world-renowned poet. He had just about or definitely in 1923, won the Nobel Prize for Literature for an amazing work of back catalogue of his poetry. And he was also one of the founders of our national theatre, which is the Abbey Theatre. And the Abbey, under Yeats and in partnership with people like Lady Augusta Gregory, was at the beginning quite a political institution. There were several riots in the Abbey from audience members who were displeased by various plays. And even though it was the government who gave the committee the responsibility for these new coins, the government kept a close eye on them. 
they were a little bit worried that they might go too far. So they interfered quite a lot. So even though the committee was founded in 1923, it wasn't until the end of 1928 that the coins were actually minted and issued. So it took quite a long period. It was a big process and there was a lot of interference. Like the people in government at the time were people like W.T. Cosgrave, Kevin O'Higgins and the Minister for Finance was Ernest Blythe. And they described themselves as the most conservative revolutionaries yet. So they even knew themselves that they were quite on the, say, conservative type in terms of any outlook they had on the arts and the involvement of the arts in government. In the meantime, like other countries in the British Empire, the Irish people were using sterling. The coins had the face of the British monarch on them. The Coinage Committee wanted to move away from that. So one of the key things that the Coinage Committee decided and to differentiate itself from the the British pound sterling was that there would be no political faces on it. So what they decided to go to was go with would be you'd say kind of a politically neutral symbol but a symbol that's very synonymous with Ireland which was the national emblem is the harp. So that was going to be on the back of all of this new coinage. Despite the fact that it would look different, it was actually going to be the same value as sterling. So there was going to be no fiscal difference between them, but it was kind of a symbolic difference that they were going for. And they were trying to look forward not to have any political faces on it. Because as I said, still during the Civil War, didn't want to antagonise people any further and just wanted to have as wide an appeal as possible. That was viewed back then as being very sort of forward thinking and quite unconservative. So if you're not going to put political heads on your coins, what do you put? The committee decided on animals. In a report, they recommended that noble or dignified animals should appear on higher denominations, while the more humble types to the lower. They suggested the horse for the half crown, followed by the salmon, bull, Wolfhound, hare, don't know what sound a hare makes. What's up, Doc? Hen, pig, and woodcock for the farthing. With the harp, they were trying to be a bit forward thinking. With the animals, they were actually looking back to ancient civilizations. They were inspired by their coinage that they used, particularly two, and that was ancient Greece and also ancient Carthage. And a lot of people were inspired by the sort of democratic principles in ancient Greece. But at the same time, they were very interested in the whole idea of back then the the value being put on things like cattle in particular and also bartering was a big, big part of people's culture. So they were trying to take those influences and bring them into Ireland and to show kind of that they were both forward-thinking and also were taking inspiration from the past. Not everyone was happy with the committee's suggestion of animals, though. The criticisers wanted something that would show that Ireland was a nation to be taken seriously and to reflect probably the Catholic majority in Ireland at the time and the value that people put on their religious belief as well and and things like the Celtic Cross which are sort of very associated with Ireland, Irish national identity in the same way that the harp is but much more associated with religion as well. So when the committee was trying to justify its reasons they brought up the fact that they were inspired by ancient coinage but they also spoke to the fact that a lot of the animals 
in particular that were used in the coinage were sort of showing off Irish agricultural produce, like the bull, for example, and then the the sow as well, trying to show off Ireland's wonderful agricultural industry. Also Irish sport, so something like the horse, hare, the woodcock as well, so all the different sports that were involved in Ireland. And then as well, sort of tying in some Irish mythological stories in with the the coins too. So something like the wolfhound, which is linked in with a a very famous figure in Irish mythology. I always think of him as sort of the Irish version of Hercules, a man called Cú Cullen, who is a sort of a demigod. And he got his name from uh, sadly killing an Irish wolfhound. Cú is the Irish for wolf and the dog that he killed was owned by a man called Cullen. So he became Cú Cullen. One animal in particular had critics up in Ireland. Arms. They were a little bit uneasy about the choice of the, the sow because in political cartoons from, say, the 18th and 19th century, a lot of the time Irish people were sort of depicted as being pigs. Um, sometimes they had, in these different political cartoons, they were often produced by people who didn't want to give Ireland its independence. They were sometimes featured in British newspapers and they were basically showing that Irish people were a little bit stupid. They were foolish. They they wouldn't be able to run a government themselves. So people were very sensitive about that. They didn't want Ireland to be portrayed by that because that had already been something that they were used to and sort of being made fun of almost from the 1800s and even into the 1900s. So that was a controversial pick. But again, it was meant to show off Irish agricultural produce. The Catholic Church believed that the coins should acknowledge God in some way. And the fact that that wasn't happening... Well, they saw that as a rejection of the Christian faith. Priests, for example, were very unhappy with it, that it was equating it too closely with paganism and the devil. And why would we have animals on our national coinage? Would we not try and take ourselves a bit more seriously? At the time, the Irish Independent published an anonymous opinion of a man they only identified as a priest who said... If these pagan symbols once get a hold, then is the thin edge of the wedge of Freemasonry sunk into the very life of our Catholic city. For the sole object of having these pagan symbols instead of religious emblems on our coins is to wipe out all traces of religion from our minds, to forget the land of saints and beget a land of devil worshippers, where evil may reign supreme. The Coinage Committee didn't take too much notice of any of this and pressed ahead with their vision for the animals of Ireland to appear on the coins. They drafted up a brief of what they were looking for and sent invitations to artists they'd like to submit. The design competition was open. So one artist, a designer called Fraser, who had designed some of the American coinage for the United States, he actually didn't get the invitation in time, so he wasn't able to put a submission together for the deadline. Another person who they were very, very interested in, a Czech artist called Morbiducci, he again was kind of faced with a bit of time constraints, didn't get the whole spec on time and wasn't able to submit. The ones that came back, they reviewed them. Three Irish competitors, an English competitor, an Italian a Swede and an American. So of an international competition to arrange and agree a coinage for a new Ireland. And it was revolutionary. That's Michael Kenny, former keeper of the National Museum of Ireland, Decorative Arts and History. Each competitor was asked to produce his piece, as it were, or pieces, 
in plaster and the plaster casts are in the National Museum not just of the winning artist but of the losing ones so you can see not just the coinage that we got but the coinage that we might have got each one is every diff- is very different. The, each artist was given a, a general brief and was asked to work within that. The Italian one, uh, Morbaducci, gives a very classical prancing bull that, of the kind that you would see on Roman coinage. The American one, Manship, doesn't give a bull at all. He just gives a silhouette or a, a bull's head, really, not a bull. One of the Irish designers, Jerome Connor, I think it was. Yes, it's Jerome Connor. He took his design to the, the fringes, as it were. He was asked for the half crown, for example, to produce a horse. But if you look at the design, his horse has shrunk to a, a, a tiny animal in the background and where his main figure is a, a, a female figure with sickle, which is, to my mind, straight out of 1930s Russia's industrial peasant-at-work sort of uh, approach that you'd expect. And it's nothing got to do with the, the brief he was given, but he did keep his hand in, as it were, by putting the little horse in the background. He did the same with the florin or two shillings, which should have had a salmon. But he wanted to put in, and a lovely piece it is, to a Viking boat in full sail. And he put it in, and he put the, the salmon down underneath. <laughs> so he shoe, followed, shoehorned in. At he shoehorned in. He, kept, he took his brief to the, the, the very edges, as it were. Some, some lovely material, actually. He also took a different brief on the penny. Instead of doing the, the hen, which is on the successful penny, he did a, a figure of a, a head of a little boy. It was the son of somebody he knew, I think. But his little boy, he put the little boy on the penny because he reckoned a penny was the coin of the chi- a child. A penny is what you give to a child at that point, if you were lucky and if the child was lucky. That's so, a really so lovely he, idea. He pushed his brief out, out to the edges. Yeah. And it's, it's, we have him here in plaster so it's nice to have the unsuccessful ones and you can look at not only the coins we got but what what might have been Surprisingly, they had expected to pick out a couple of different designs from one, a couple of different designs from the other. But in the majority, nearly all of the committee picked the same designs from one single artist. And this was a man called Percy Metlaff. But the unfortunate thing was that Percy was English. That's right. They had chosen an Englishman to design the coins for the Irish Free State. They were a little bit iffy about that because they knew that people wouldn't be 100% happy with the new Irish Free State trying to show its distinctiveness from the United Kingdom to show that Ireland is a different national identity now and the artist who designs coins is actually English. Um, but Percy, he was, I think he was the youngest artist to submit it. He was only 32 years of age. He was a veteran of the First World War and was originally a sculptor. But because he was quite badly injured during the war, he couldn't stand up for large periods of time. So he went on and changed his practice into designing uh, and specifically designing coinage this time. So he was quite young. He was very eager for a job in this newer profession that he hadn't been in before. And he was also the cheapest person. So not only did they like all his designs the best, but he was a great uh, value for money. Percy also had another advantage. He worked at the British Mint where coins were made. He had possibly a better idea of what would work in practical terms, in terms of mint production. And of course, that Irish coinage, as produced, was produced in the British Mint because we didn't have a mint of our own at the time. So the material was coming from the British Mint. Percy Metcalf had a contact with the British Mint. So I suppose in a general sense also it made the world a little bit easier. 
So from 1928, they were in circulation. Lots of people really loved the coins. They were very pleased to see um, such a beautiful design, something which, again, symbolised what Irish people were quite proud of, which was our agricultural industry. And there was a, a lovely quote here from a local farmer in Mayo. He wrote into the newspapers, he said that I'm a small farmer in Mayo and have been dealing with domestic animals all my life. They're my daily bread. I'm not sentimental, but practical. And I like to see them on our coinage. So you can kind of tell that he's not a man that probably expresses a lot of emotion. But he wrote in to say that he was so happy to see something that is part of his everyday life that reflects him, reflected back in what is an and was sent around internationally so they even sent it to the Pope and the Pope wrote back to say that he was delighted he thought they were beautiful It's interesting that the Pope wrote back was after all the kind of controversy from people on the more religious side Absolutely so I think that was probably a great endorsement for them and they were relieved I would say the Pope's seal of approval made them breathe a bit more easy In general Lots of people from sort of the design world, from the art world, all around Europe in particular, commended the the forward-thinking nature of the coins, the non-political link that they had with the Irish harp and the designs of Metcalf in particular. They really, really liked it. The coins also made an impact elsewhere. Countries like Australia and Canada and other countries at that point in the British Commonwealth actually were to take our lead. So we did provide a sort of a precedent, I suppose, for for other countries to get away from personalities and to get away from political material. And this was a neutral coinage. And a coinage is the fact that we, we could be and we are quite proud of. So proud, in fact, that we kept Percy's design for decades after. They went underwent a change in 1971 when Ireland moved from the sort of, as I said, the shillings and the threepence and the, the halfpenny to the decimal system. The designs were kept. They were updated a little bit slightly by an artist, a woman called Gabriel Hayes. From 2002, there was the changeover between the old Irish punt with Metcalfe's designs on it over to the euro. But interestingly, on all the Irish euro coins, there's still that distinction between us and the rest of Europe because we still have the Irish harp on the back of it. And it's the same design that was used for the punt back in 1928. So it continues on a little bit different, but it's still there. The coins are best summed up by Yates himself when he wrote about them in a report that the Coinage Committee put together. He says that they designed the coins specifically, and this is a quote from it, to please those who look longer at each coin than anybody else, artists and children. And for me, that summed it up really, really well because I always remember when I was younger and getting a coin, you know, when you got your pocket money and just being so enamoured with having the coin in your hand and just looking at it. And I do remember in particular... Because there was, these were the kind of ones that you'd usually get were the 20p and the 50p. And in particular the 20p, a gorgeous goldy coloured coin which had the horse on it as well. And I remember that so, so well. And I think the coins that they designed really did appeal to young children who would love to see animals. Of course, all of children. Children like to see farm animals, but as well to artists as well in terms of the way that it was designed, that it was so modern in its outlook and in terms of the national symbols being non-political was really important.
Meet Your Maker is produced by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music in this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and let people know about it. Okay, that's it. See you in two weeks. Thank you.